Amen. What an amazing song for us to be thinking about and singing today that the love of the Father for us is so wonderful and so incredible. Before we jump into the sermon today, I want to just take a second and speak directly to our Asian American brothers and sisters. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Church, living in a broken world means that we continually encounter things that absolutely grieve the heart of God. And this week events are no different. It was yet another reminder that our world is filled with sin and in desperate need of a savior. Asian American brothers and sisters, we see you. You are not alone. You are so incredibly valuable to this church and this community. This tragic injustice has only punctuated the growing number of cases of racist acts towards Asian Americans across the nation for a very long time. So we lament this unjust loss beside you. And we pray for the Holy Spirit, our great comforter, to bring you peace to you and your household in this unthinkable season. Church, if you're not Asian American, we encourage you to take this time to lament the murder of image bearers and weep with us for God to deal justly against all wrongdoing and to show his unending love to the grieving families and communities. So we just wanna take an opportunity here today and just pause and pray for God to actually do that. Let me pray. Jesus, if anybody knows what it's like to go through suffering, if there's anybody that knows what injustice looks like and feels like, it's you, Jesus. So I pray right now in this moment for our church family that you would generously pour out your Holy Spirit. You call yourself the great comforter, Holy Spirit. So would you do that right now? God, would you change human hearts? Would you please change human hearts in this country that desperately need to know the profound grace and mercy of Jesus? God, I pray that you would unify us as a church, that we would weep with those who weep, we would mourn with those who mourn, and that we would never be okay. We would never be okay as we see injustice right in front of our eyes. Holy Spirit of God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for who you are to us and for our Asian American brothers and sisters right now. Be that great comforter that you promised to be. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, it is so good um, to be with you today and to open up God's word together. We are in the middle of Matthew and we're in chapter 18 today where we find Jesus telling a parable to his disciples. And so a parable is like this really short, super creative story that Jesus would use often to make a bigger point that's way, way bigger and more complex and more beautiful than even the story itself. 
I love to imagine Jesus strolling up to people and having these conversations and actually telling these parables to people. I love to think about them listening and just kind of having like eyes open and maybe jaws dropped as they're hearing some of these stories. Truthfully, I love so much about Jesus. And one of the things that's always intrigued me as an artist is Jesus's use of storytelling. All throughout the gospels, you see Jesus gathering people together and telling them these really powerful stories. And it's in his storytelling that we learn more about who we are to live as followers of Jesus, but we also see more and more of what his heart is actually like. And so in this parable we're gonna read today, you're gonna see just how compassionate and how loving his heart truly is. So Matthew chapter 18, 10 through 14 is where we find this story. And here's what it says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. All right, so I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you read stories in the Bible that have to do with sheep, but it can seem really bizarre through our Western modern Christian lens, right? I haven't been around a ton of sheep. I don't know one single uh, shepherd personally. I do know that I like the way a lamb tastes when it's grilled and served with a nice red wine reduction and some creamy mashed potatoes, right? That's awesome. But I do not have much concept at all for sheep farms and for shepherds. And there are countless ways that the Bible uses to describe us people, right? But it seems like one of the ways that is closest to God's heart is to describe us as sheep and him as a shepherd. Like in John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament tells us that God protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them in the fold of his garment. That is beautiful. But the imagery might seem a little lost on us because we only see sheep every once in a while in petting zoos, right? But for the ancient world, this parable would have made all the sense in the world to them. Like think about it, back in the biblical days, sheep were everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there were sheep and there were shepherds. And so there couldn't have been a more understandable, relatable and direct illustration for people to hear about what the heart of God was actually like. But since we in 2021, right, have a hard time wrapping our minds around the imagery of sheep, let's start with this question right here. Why sheep? Like what in the world does that have to do with us? You know, growing up, uh, my parents had uh, this really hideous painting in the hallway of our downstairs, right? And it was, uh, it was a, a, a portrait, right, portraying Jesus. And he was like in this lush garden and he had like, you know, a big rock that he was leaning up against and like crystal clear blue waters and everywhere around him were these like cute little fluffy sheep everywhere. And uh, he had this perfectly clean white robe and perfectly clean white teeth, not a Karen 
in the world just smiling, hanging out with sheep, right? And underneath the painting, it said in these big, gigantic, black cursive letters, it says, I am the good shepherd, the love Jesus. I remember walking by that painting so many times and thinking, man, Jesus was so weird. Like that's a weird picture. And that is not at all what Jesus was like. And that's not at all what shepherding was like. Like shepherding was incredibly exhausting. Shepherding was something that was tiring for the shepherd. It wasn't this like glamorous kind of laid back sort of thing because sheep are really stupid animals. Sheep are not smart like your golden doodle. They don't have like instincts like your cat has. Sheep are really stupid animals. All right, so think about it. If your dog happens to wander off from your yard, there's a really good chance that she's going to show right back up on your porch very soon, right? Because that dog knows what home is. If you have a really good horse and she happens to get out of the stall, that horse is going to come right back because horses are really smart. But sheep, if a sheep wanders away, it will always continue wandering. It doesn't know how to get back home. A sheep is senseless. A sheep is defenseless. Like sheep are some of the most fragile, defenseless animals on the whole planet. I don't know if you knew this or not. I didn't know this until I studied this this week. Sheep don't actually eat food unless they are taken towards food and shown what to do when they get to that food. Like sheep are really prone to be dehydrated really quickly because unless they're led to water, they'll just totally forget to drink from any water source in front of them. Like sheep are hopeless on their own. And so because of that, the exhausting part of being a shepherd is because of that, a shepherd spends their entire day corralling, feeding, directing, nurturing, making sure that sheep are okay. Because if they don't have a shepherd, they will absolutely die. They cannot do anything on their own. So when God refers to us as sheep, It is incredibly profound. In fact, Tim Keller, Tim Keller says that God calling us sheep is actually a very well-meant spiritual insult. It's something we should pay attention to because he calls us his sheep. All right, so put yourself in that conversation, right? That Jesus is having in Matthew chapter 18. Think about it through that lens for a second. Jesus is the shepherd and you are the sheep. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? As Jesus is speaking this parable, the amazing thing is he is inviting these disciples to peer into his heart, to understand what his heart is like as a shepherd. Like I wonder if in that moment, they would have recalled the Old Testament passage in Isaiah that says, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. I wonder if in that moment, they, they recalled the, the old text from Ezekiel 34 that says, I will save my flock and they will no longer be prey. I wonder if they thought about another Old Testament passage that maybe they had memorized where it says, as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I, God, so I will look out for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been 
scattered. Man, see, Jesus right here wasn't giving like farming lessons. He wasn't using some old school, antiquated, out of date, mystical example for people to scratch their heads in confusion to. No, Jesus in this moment was speaking their language. He was saying something that they would have absolutely understood so that they could understand just how radical the love of God truly is. Honestly, like at this story, these guys would have been stunned by it. They would have been floored by this story because every human being on the planet knows what it feels like to be lost. Everybody on the planet knows what it feels like to wander away, to be in danger, to need help that you can't provide for yourself. Every human knows what it feels like to be alone. They felt it. You felt it. Maybe you feel it right now today in this moment. All wandering sheep have to be rescued or they will die. And so at the end of the day, you and I are way more like sheep than we realize. See, the powerful part of this story, though, is not that Jesus would compare you and me to sheep and him to a shepherd. That's not the powerful part of the story. The powerful part of the story is the fact that Jesus is willing to leave 99 to go after one lost sheep. Like in the whole parable, this is the part that Jesus wants us to pay close attention to. For the sake of one single lost sheep, the shepherd tracks up and down hills and valleys into the furthest wilderness, past the darkest woods, through the roughest terrain and impossible cliffs. Why? Like, why would a shepherd do that? Why would a shepherd leave the 99 to go through something so painful and so difficult to find one? It's because a good shepherd, a really good shepherd, knows no limits to where he will go to rescue one of his own stray sheep. Like, look at how diligent he is. It says, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Like I can imagine the shepherd kind of like looking around his flock, like he probably did every couple of hours counting, okay, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99 and then stopping and going, I, mean, I, hope, I hope I got the math wrong. Let me try this again, 97, 98, 99. And in that moment, it hits him. One of my sheep is gone. One of my sheep is not here. I mean, he knows it's the little brown-faced sheep with a black mark on its foot. He knows all about that sheep because he knows every single thing about every single sheep in his flock. Like he can visualize that sheep. And he spends no more time thinking of the 99 that are safe and secure because his mind is set on that one lost sheep. I'm sure in that moment, his mind paces like, I wonder if she's in danger. I wonder if she is wounded. I wonder if she has food and water to drink. And in that moment, man, a good shepherd is willing to leave everything, drop it all, forego all comforts, because he cannot rest while one sheep is lost. Man, out of a hundred sheep, 
I, I would be a terrible shepherd because if there was a hundred sheep in this room right now, there is not a single chance that I would notice if one is gone. Like out of a hundred sheep, who would notice that one sheep is missing? Jesus would. Jesus absolutely does. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd for a very good reason. He's a good shepherd because first of all, he sees Like that is so good about him that he sees, he notices when you get lost. He's not frustrated with the wandering sheep. He's not disgusted with the places that the wanderer has drifted toward. It's the opposite. Man, he is filled with compassion. So much compassion that he is more than willing to leave the 99 to go after that one wandering sheep. Like Christian, in this story, can you see how much God loves you? Like, can you believe it? Can you feel it? Like you are noticed by him. There's not a moment in your story that Jesus does not notice you and see you. Like you matter to him. And if you're not a Christian today, man, I want you to know that he is relentlessly coming after you. It's not like chance or an accident that you're watching this broadcast or that you're in one of our uh, congregations today. It's not by accident. He is chasing after you. Why? Because he loves you. You matter to him. He notices you. He's a really good shepherd. God cares about the wandering sheep. And a wandering soul stirs up compassion in Jesus. Like he cannot bear the thought of one of his people perishing. He has a deep rooted sympathy for every single stray heart. He fully knows the sadness that sin brings. Like he knows the wounding that comes from running towards our own desires that will never pay off. They'll never satisfy or fulfill us. He knows how miserable it is for a soul to have no rescue. Like God, man, God's heart is an ocean of love and he will do nothing less than chase after that one lost sheep until he or she is found. There's so much that's interesting about the chase of Jesus towards sheep. And I want to point out a couple of really powerful aspects about how Jesus pursues lost or wandering sheep. All right, the first one is this. When Jesus sets his mind on somebody, he has his mind set on you specifically. Specifically. There are no generalizations with Jesus when he goes after a lost sheep. It's not like Jesus left the 99 and then he just kind of wandered through some neighboring pastures, hoping to find any old sheep that he could bring back to the flock to balance it out and make it a hundred. No, Jesus specifically went after that one lost sheep. There is specificity to his chase. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in, uh, in John chapter 10, he follows that with another really powerful statement. Look at it. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Do you realize how much it would change your life if you truly believed that you were known 
by God. Like not just you in an all of humanity sort of sense, but you. Like how much would it change your life if you really believe that God knows you as his own? Anne Voskamp has this beautiful way of reminding us of just how important our existence is to the heart of God. She says this, at the beginning of time, he saw the world and all that he had made and he deemed it all good, but he didn't call it very good until it included us. Man, when God created you, he made you with his image pressed into your whole being. You're not an accidental human. You're also not too far away today. You haven't wandered to too distant of a place. You have not been tangled up with something that is too hard for Jesus to untangle you from because when he calls you very good, man, there is a deep amount of love and affection and devotion when you call someone very good. And he has called you very good. And no place you've gone and no thing you've ever done could ever redefine what he has already defined as very good. He has his mind set on you specifically, but he also has his mind set on you completely. He has his mind set on you completely. All right, right now I have a friend who uh, is about to enter into engagement with his girlfriend, right? If you're married, you remember that whole season. If you're single or dating, you have a concept for this whole thing, right? Let me tell you, when you're about to enter into engagement, it can become all-consuming, right? You start to think about it all the time. It colors every date night. You start to imagine what apartment you're gonna live in and which location in town. All of your decisions start to revolve around this thing called engagement. You start to imagine like what you want your life to be like, what kind of person you wanna be for your spouse. Your mind starts to set on something completely. Right? I think about the, another analogy of a, a mother and father who, who might go through the tragedy of losing uh, a kid or missing a kid that's lost. Charles Spurgeon tells this story and it's, it's beautiful. He says, if you have ever been in a house with a mother and a father, when a little child has been lost, you will never forget the agitation of each member of the household. See the father as he goes to the police station and calls at every likely house, for he must find his child or break his heart. See the bitter anguish of the mother. She is like one distracted until she has news of her darling. You now begin to understand what Jesus feels for one whom he loves, who is graven on the palms of his hands, whom he looked upon when he was bleeding his life away upon the cross. Jesus has no rest in his spirit till his beloved is found. He has compassion and that transcends all the compassion of parents or of siblings. Like the heart of Jesus is moved and it's moved completely for a lost soul. 
It's what Jesus came to do. Like that was the purpose in him coming. Luke 19.10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. When Jesus puts his mind to something, he does it completely. He's not half-hearted. He's all-consuming in his chase of you. So much so that he willingly left all the comforts of heaven to wrap himself in human skin and willingly die for the sins of mankind that he did not commit. Like Jesus shed his blood so that he could call you his very own. When Jesus sets his mind on someone, he does it completely. But he doesn't just do it completely. He does it one other way too. He has his mind set on you continually. He has his mind set on you continually. This parable, Matthew 18, the same story is also mentioned in Luke chapter 15. And it has a, like an additional part of the story that I think is, is really stunning and I want you to see it. Luke chapter 15, verse four, same story Jesus is telling. When a man having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost until he finds it, until he finds it. With Jesus, there is endless perseverance. And Jesus is not like anybody else that you've ever met or ever, ever known. Like maybe you've had people bail on you throughout the years. I know I have, like there were seasons in my life where I was wandering away from God, like choosing all the things opposite of God. And there were people that had a hard time believing that it was even possible for God to save me, much less change me. And so they, they bailed on me, they gave up. But I want you to know today that when God sets his heart and his mind on somebody, he doesn't give up, he doesn't bail. There is perseverance to his chase. Jesus will not give up on you. He will chase a lost sheep, as the scripture says, until he finds it. He can't stop. He wants the capacity to not rescue his own sheep. Man, it may, it may take time. Sometimes it takes years, decades for God to work out our salvation and our sanctification, but absolutely nothing will stop Jesus from bringing a lost soul home. Until the day that you take your final breath, Jesus will never turn a blind eye towards your suffering, towards your fears, towards your worries, your temptations, and he will not turn a blind eye to your proneness to wander away from him. Charles Spurgeon says this about how Christ seeks sinners. He says, the whole Christ seeks after each sinner. The whole Christ seeks after each sinner. And when he finds them, he gives himself to that one soul as if he had but one soul to bless. Man, that is a radical statement about the love of Jesus. 
That's how he chases after you. Oh man, I so badly want you to believe it. It's taken me so long to believe that Jesus would chase after me like this. But I'm telling you, after year and year of my life, I can see him doing it and I believe it. Would you please believe it today? That he's chasing after you. And let that belief turn into repentance today. To run back to him. To worship him. To have total awe for the radical love of Jesus that would leave 99 to come after you. The chase is extraordinary. But the parable doesn't end with just the chase. There's one more thing that happens in this story that is absolutely shocking. The shepherd rejoices. Look at it, verse 13 again. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Have you ever thought about how crazy it is that Jesus gets joy out of saving wandering sheep? Like he gets joy, he gets happiness out of rescuing lost sheep. Like Jesus, this is what blows my mind, right? Jesus is fully content. Jesus is completely satisfied. God does not lack one single thing. And yet still, when one lost sheep repents, returns, when he goes after one lost sheep, the heart of Jesus is filled up with joy. You might think, okay, but doesn't it bring God joy when I am faithful and I'm obedient and I'm resisting sin? Yes, absolutely. It fills up the heart of Jesus with absolute joy when we choose faithfulness over disobedience. But the scripture says that it also fills him with joy every single time he has to run and chase you down and remind you how good he is and remind you how much he loves you. It fills him up with joy to say, you're still mine, come back to me. I haven't left you. You've always been mine and you always will be. It fills up Jesus with joy every single time he recaptures your heart. In the, the passage in Luke that I mentioned, there's another part that's really cool. <laughs> the shepherd, after he rescues the sheep, he basically looks to his friends and his neighbors and his family and says, hey y'all, I got my last sheep back. Y'all come party with me. We're about to celebrate. We're about to throw down because my lost sheep is now back home. The scripture takes it even further and says that all of heaven rejoices every single time one sinner, sinner repeats. That is absolutely incredible. Man, some of you are so scared to be found by Jesus because you think he's gonna react with anger and condemnation. Listen, all the wrath of God was already poured out on Jesus on the cross 2000 years ago. All the condemnation that you and I deserve has already been placed on Jesus. He's not gonna wound you or punish you. He was wounded and punished for you. And he's not gonna yell or shout. The crowds already did that to Jesus as he carried your cross to Calvary. No, he's gonna welcome you, throw a party and remind you as many times as it takes, you are mine. You are loved 
You are a sheep and I am your shepherd. He loves, he loves doing that. Listen, if you are a lost sheep in the room today or watching this, if you're wondering or drifting, you feel hopeless, like you're standing on the ledge with no idea how you're gonna make it, let Jesus find you. Don't resist. Like let him pick you up. Let him place you on his shoulders and carry you back to the place that you are meant to be. He is relentless in chasing after you. Because when someone you treasure is far away, you will go to any length to bring them home. When someone you treasure is far away, you will go to any lengths necessary to bring them home. You know, I have four kids. I'm a dad of four and um, I love my kids. And three of our kids came into our family through adoption. Two of them were born in Haiti. And when we started the adoption process, they were two and four years old. When we started that process, for three years, they weren't able to come home. Like from the beginning, they were my son and my daughter. Like they were my son and daughter, like legally, they were my son and daughter at a heart level. They were my kids just as much as our biological kid was. But for two and a half years, they couldn't come home. And so what did Jamie and I do? Man, every other month, one of us scraped up some money, bought a flight, flew down to Haiti, would stay there for a week or nine days, and then we'd come home. We'd have to say goodbye and come home and look at them and go, I love you. I know you can't come home yet, but I'm gonna figure out a way to get you home. We did that for two and a half years. And I can't tell you the grief and the sorrow that we experienced knowing that someone we treasured was far off and could not come home yet. You know, it wasn't until there was a massive earthquake in Haiti that allowed for something called humanitarian parole to happen to where kids that were being adopted could actually come home. Like God literally moved heaven and earth to get my kids out of Haiti and into our home here in Austin, Texas. I want you to know when they got home, I can't describe the amount of joy and rejoicing that I had in my heart as a father who longed for my two kids to live with me. And if Aaron, broken, frail, earthly father feels that way and would literally do anything in the world to bring someone I treasure back to my house, then how much more so will God do that for you? The heart of God longs for you to be found. The heart of God longs to chase after you. And the heart of God loves rejoicing every single time one lost sheep is found. Listen, church, I, I don't know what that does for you, what that stirs up in you, but I want you to know that Jesus is your good shepherd and he will lead you to all the places you need to go. He has walked the shepherd's path. He's trekked along the dangerous ledge. He experienced hell's worst so you could experience heaven's best. And he did it to save you, to rescue you because he loves you. And he will rejoice every single time he has to come and chase you down when you wonder until finally you get to heaven's door and you will never ever wander away again. Let me pray for you, church. Jesus, thank you 
for a heart like this. Thank you that your heart is not cold towards us or apathetic towards us. Thank you that your heart is full of compassion, is full of grace, is full of kindness and mercy. God, there's no possible way we could ever be found on our own. We are like sheep. When we start wondering, we will always keep wondering. But I'm thankful that we have a good shepherd. If there's anybody today that finds themselves wondering far from you, do what you're so good at. Chase them down. Jesus, I don't know anybody else like you. I want you to make yourself known to every single person that's hearing this today. You are good. You are the good shepherd. And there's no one like you. You're the king of love. Nobody compares to you. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.